To think about the future, we must consider what we've been, what, where we've been, and what we've done in the past. And for many of us, our past is a runaway train wreck. I know I'm not alone, and I know you're not alone either. We learn a lot at Bible sessions here at the Resurrection Center. We make th sense of things. For example, what's the leading cause of dry skin? What's the leading cause of dry skin? Towels. Towels is the leading cause of dry skin. Some of the things in life are so obvious. There's also, at the Resurrection Center, we state how obvious how people can relate to each other. Two men are on opposite sides of the river. One says, I need to get to the other side. And the other one says, you're already on the other side. That means you're already at your destination. You see, we make sense of things. Tonight, we honor our pastors and our apostles. We're chatting tonight how to stay free. The only way to stay free is to not get caught. So that's tonight's message, how not to get caught. But the subtitle is, don't do it again. Unfortunately, we have gotten caught at one time or another in our lives. It's all about making mistakes. That's our sin. How do we deal with the mistakes? Our Bible session helps us to deal with mistakes. Yes, mistakes. Have you ever made a mistake? Do you think I've made mistakes? Right now, my wife wants to take the microphone, and all she needs is an hour or so. <laughs> to make mistakes is human. Yes, human. To blame someone else for your mistakes, well, that's strategic. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When I was young, I did stupid things because I didn't know better. Now I know better and do stupid things because I miss being young. Back then, I figured some mistakes were, are too much uh, fun to only make once. Well, I was ignorant. Let me tell you, for maximum intention, nothing beats a good mistake. We've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. Some of us learn from the mistakes of others. The rest of us have to be others who make the mistakes. It's good learn to learn from other people's mistakes. I wish people could learn something from me. And let's talk about marriage. Is my wife looking at me? Behind every... Listen, listen. Behind every angry woman is a man who has no idea what he did wrong. I've been repeating the same mistakes in life so long now, I think I'll start calling them traditions. My wife doesn't like it when I tell her any married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. My wife gets me back, though. She says the man wears the pants in the house, but it's the woman that tells the man which pants to wear. Let's read, I hear the apostle said, yes, yes. You've been there too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so let's uh, go to John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. And I will read the scripture for you. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do no sin again. And what I was reading just now was John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Now, some things are happening when Jesus arrives from his place of prayer at the Mount of Olives and shares his insight and wisdom. The scribes and the Pharisees come from the judgment that are set on vengeance. Vengeance. Think of that. Jesus allows the woman to see a new freedom. Not only is she saved from stoning, but Jesus asks her to move on. That means to move forward in life. Do not sin again. Don't give in to any false image that limits or diminishes you. Now think of this. The pronouncement of forgiveness is stated first, first, and is not made conditional. And uh, on the tr- and it is not made conditional, I should say, on the turn from sin. Rather, the turning from sin seems to flow from the experience of forgiveness. Did you hear me say the phrase, experience of forgiveness? It's an experience. It is often said that it is easier to give than to receive. Now, check this out. Now, check this out. The question is, do I believe in the possibility of forgiveness? Do you believe in the possibility of forgiveness? Are there, ta- are there times when I find it easier to forgive than to believe myself forgiven? And what about you? Are there times when you find it easier to forgive than to believe yourself forgiven? Think of yourself as renewed, as if you are in the beginning. What does that mean? It means to always be in the beginning. To do that, you must let the past go. You see, the saints from times past were always beginning. That is how they became saints. And I'll show you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Again, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. And again, that is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. We can be renewed. Think of that. We can be renewed. That's called repentance. And that's what repentance is. It's a renewing of the mind. Let me tell you a story of decades ago when I suffered from alcoholism. Some of you might know that. But years ago, I suffered from alcoholism and sleeping pill addiction. Take a moment and think of that combination. You know, it's funny how drinking eight glasses of water seems impossible. But eight beers go down quicker than an elephant on a seesaw. I learned something. I learned something. Beer doesn't make you fat. People say beer makes you fat. Beer doesn't make you fat. Beer makes you lean. It makes you lean on tables. (laughs) Makes you lean on chairs. Makes you lean on random people. That was how it was for me. Um, you know, 
At the time, I didn't care. I knew that beer may not solve your problems. Then again, neither will water or soda. So I just kept going with the bad stuff. I tried hard to succeed with great things in my life, but I let the addictions take over. Unfortunately, the sins and failures of my life back then did not allow me to move forward. You know, many people told me to start what I finished. They told me to finish what I started, I should say. I understood the phrase, to finish what I start. You've heard that too, right? To finish what you start? My friends and family told me to finish what I had started. So I would come home, and I would see that half a bottle of whiskey on the wall, and I'd finish it. Yep, I finished what I started. In all of that, God was there. I changed, and I didn't do it alone. God was there. God transforms our lives. Did you know that, that God can transform your life? I'm standing here because God transformed my life. He, he can heal our bodies, our minds, and even change the events of our life, for nothing is impossible for him. God cleans us up by taking our sins away from our life and making us a new creature in Christ, a new creature in Christ. But every day, he works on us to make us what we need to be for him in his life. To be, we are working for him. We need to be for him in this life. I have many flaws in my life, but God daily helps me to change these flaws and to become the man, to become the man that he desires me to be. Our gradual inside-out transformation as Christians represents some major changes in a number of areas in our lives. There are numerous powerful stories in Scripture of people whose emerging faith and trust in God, obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and spiritual growth. Yes, spiritual growth totally transformed who they are and who they would become as individuals under God. As we are all being changed from the inside out, we grow into more mature Christians. And I can explain that by sharing with you Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. And I'll read the scripture. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And again, that's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. You see, our viewpoint changes as our spiritual eyes, our spiritual eyes become increasingly more focused on Christ and on things pertaining to heaven. And when I say things pertaining to heaven, it is for the promises to come. Okay? It's all about priorities. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, the scripture says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, knowledge, after the image of its creator. Wow. I'm going to read that again. That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, which says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. That's God. Jesus hit the nail on the head when he said, for where your treasure is, then your heart will also be. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. 
If we're not careful as believers, we cannot we can forget those things that are most important in life and get our priorities out of order. Did you hear that? Priorities out of order. We need to be focused. I'm going to tell you about someone in the past. Um, now, as you saw on Facebook, uh, uh, Pastor Jose is not here tonight, um, but I'm going to talk about football. I think now that I've just said that, he probably, Pastor Jose, you can stand back up again. <laughs> So, yes, I'm going to talk about football. So let me tell you a story about Tom Landry. He was an American professional football player and coach. He was the first head coach of the Dallas Cowboys in the National Football League, a position that he had held for 29 years. Can you imagine that? 29 years. Long time. Someone once asked Tom Landry why he had been so successful as head football coach during his 29 tenure with the Dallas Cowboys. So he responded and in 1958, this is what happened. In 1958, he said this. I did something everyone who has been successful must do. So he did something in 1958, and he says everyone must do this. So he says, in 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. Determine my priorities for my life. And you know what he said? He listed them. God, family, then football. God, family, and then football. You know, the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy about priorities in Ephesus, too. Ephesus is located near the western shores of modern-day Turkey, about 80 kilometers south of Izmir. It's about 50 miles. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, the Scripture says, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's in 1 Timothy Chapter 3, uh, verse 5. 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 5. The home comes first is what he's talking about. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? It's all about being responsible. Yes, responsible. Can, can you say the word responsible? That's a good word, isn't it? Okay. The youth of today need to look that up in the dictionary. Being responsible, being a responsible person is usually a good thing. It means you're committed, dependable, accountable, and care for others. Is that a good definition? Being responsible, being a responsible person is usually a good thing. It means you're committed, dependable, accountable, and care for others. That's amazing. People feel great when they are responsible because it's a good feeling of knowing and doing what is right? In Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, I'll, I'll read the scripture. It describes it this way. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. And you can see that in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Understand this. The Bible teaches us that right is always right and wrong is always wrong, regardless who the parties are involved or who the people are involved. God put that in our hearts and conscience expecting each of us to take personal responsibility, personal responsibility and accountability for our actions. 
So what does that look like? Would you like to know what that looks like? Well, guess what? I'm here, so I'm going to tell you. So this is what responsibility looks like. And there are six things I'll chat with you about. The first one, it's very simple. When you agree to do something, you know what you should do? When you agree to do something? Do it. Do it. Yes, when you agree to do something, do it. If you let people down, they'll stop believing you. Right? Right? When you follow through on your commitments, people will take you seriously. Isn't that what everyone wants? And number two, it relates to being accountable. Answer for your own actions. Answer for your own actions. Don't make excuses or blame others for what you do. When you take responsibility, see, there's that word again. When you take responsibility for your actions, you are saying, I am the one in charge of my life. That's what accountability is, being in charge of your life. And number three, take care of your own matters. Take care of your own matters. Don't rely on others to remind you when you're supposed to be somewhere or do something or, you're supposed to, or what you're supposed to bring. You take responsibility. Okay, take care of your own manners. And then number four, it relates to integrity. Number four, be trustworthy. If somebody trusts you to borrow or take care of something, guess what you should do? Take care of it. If somebody tells you something in confidence, keep it to yourself. It's important for people to know they can count on you. That's the definition of integrity. And number five, use your head. That means think. Think things through and use good judgment. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. When you use your head, you make better choices. When you are guided by the Holy Spirit, you make even better choices. That shows that people can trust you. And number six, don't put things off. Don't delay things. Don't procrastinate. When you have a job to do, do it. Doing the things on time helps you take control of your life and shows that you can manage your own affairs. So that's what responsibility looks like. We know what responsibility is. Now we know what it looks like. So that's it. If you think that you have responsibility to do something, you feel that you ought to do it because it is the morally right thing to do. Each step we take towards being responsible and productive helps to raise our self-esteem. And our relationships with friends and family and coworkers improve a lot. Being responsible has advantages. Advantages. We have much less stress and chaos in our lives, and we gain the respect of others. Let that one sink in. Is that worth it? Don't you think that's worth it? Think about it. Being responsible has its advantages. You have much less stress, right? You want less stress less chaos in our lives, and you have the respect of others. That's worth it. Our responsible actions set us free. We are not held in bondage of the captivity of guilt to the control of other people. Wow. I woke up on that one. Our responsible actions set us free. We are not held in bondage of the captivity of guilt, of guilt, or to the control of other people. We see that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, which I'll read for you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again 
by a yoke of slavery. That's what that means. So let's talk more about this bondage. Bondage. What is that? Bondage. What is that? Okay, so the word bondage is defined as the state of being a slave. That's what Galatians was talking about. So the term spiritual bondage, the spiritual bondage, would essentially mean the state of being a spiritual slave. In general, we could use the term spiritual bondage to refer to anything that keeps us from being fully submitted to the will of the Lord. There will always be the temptation to sin, so it is important that we cut off the temptation when it begins. That goes back to the responsibility. We know what responsibility is. We just learned what it looks like. Now, for example, if people allow sins like anger, lying, greed, and unforgiveness to remain in their hearts, it becomes an open door to give the devil a foothold. You don't want that. God can change the impossible situation. He sometimes moves mysteriously, mysteriously, but will provide what you need in miraculous ways. And it's going to be far better than you can ever imagine. That's the power of God. So do what you can, and God will successfully execute what you can't. That's why we lean on God. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about a divine shift. Ooh, that's a nice word, divine shift. A divine shift is a supernatural move from one place to another, a slight change in position or direction. The supernatural act of putting one thing in the place of another or changing the place of a person or thing, that means God moves things around, okay? I'll give you an example. Would you like an example? An example is my wife, Maria, moving from the country of Colombia and uh, South America to Western Mass, and myself moving from Boston to Western Mass. The story of what happened in the year 2002 that we talked about during the marriage conference on March 12th and the couple's night on November 5th of last year is what is called divine shift. Things were put in order and then put in motion, all according to God's will. 20 years later, it's a testimony. That's the result of a divine shift, a testimony. A divine shift is outside of the pattern of this world, of the secular world. It is a process of a renewal of the way you think that is more godlike and less worldlike. A testimony results because the story you tell shows God's will. So let me explain that to you. It's all explained in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse uh, verse 2. And the scripture says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good and and pleasing and perfect will. And that's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You know, truth be told, we all wish everything would stay rosy and peachy, right? Wouldn't we like that? Right? See, I'm going to tell you something. Um, my wife bought a new carpet for the house, okay? Um, she didn't say, hey, honey, I'm, I'm going to buy a new carpet for the house. I hope you like No, no. You heard what I said. I started the story by saying, my wife bought a new carpet for the living room, okay? Now I can see people say <laughs> take notes on this one. <laughs> so we had a carpet there already. Sounds interesting, right? See, bought a new carpet, had a carpet there already. 
but she wanted something fresh and new, okay? She didn't tell me with fear that I might be disenchanted. <laughs> I never saw her tremble. Truth be told, I love the carpet. I really do. I really do. Here's why. Here's why. When I walk on it barefooted, it immediately reminds me of the carpeted flooring of my house where I grew up in Boston. As a child, the softness of the flooring was as soft as the flooring of my life. It brought me back to a time of safety. My parents protected my siblings, and I told you I'm one of nine. Uh, they protected my siblings and I from the true nature of this world. I didn't know of the addictions that I would eventually have later on, that I would have to endure in the future. Back then, there were no computer games. Now people are doing the math. How old is this guy? Um, <laughs> with God's mercy and grace, I never started smoking. As for alcohol, the town I grew up in outside of Boston was dry. No beer or wine was sold. That addiction came later. You see, that carpet brought me to a safe place. It reminded me of that. Then later on, I went to the university. And that's when I saw the world. When I started my business about 30 years ago, I saw betrayal, deception, manipulation, and attacks. That's when I saw the real world. Yes, I saw betrayal, deception, manipulation, and tax. What I saw caused me to react in a way not practiced before. It caused me to react in a way that was not the will of God. That's when I met my friend. I met my friend, Mr. Beer in a can, and all of his friends, Budweiser, Heineken, Michelob, Coors, and the others, See, what happened was I medicated on all sorts of life struggles with drinking beer. That's what I did. I medicated all sorts of life struggles by drinking beer. I started to think, never look at your beer as half empty. Look at it as halfway to your next beer. I planned for the future. My thinking was bad. My mindset was, how does a man show that he's planning for the future? He buys two cases of beer. On certain days, I would say to myself, this beer tastes like I'm not going to work tomorrow. Yep, beer gave me a reason to wake up in the afternoon. My addiction to beer was something that I needed to protect. I didn't let it go. I believed in the lie that it was okay and that I was in control, and it was a lie. I believed in the lie, and that was okay for me at that time, and I thought I was in control. I was ignorant, and I was powerless. I was protecting the bear. I was protecting the sin. Think of that. I was protecting the sin. I wasn't just protecting the bear. I was protecting the sin. Spilling a beer was the same as a kid dropping an ice cream cone. Oh, protect that. My addiction was captivity. That's what it was, captivity. Addictions are captivity. We've been talking about bondage. They control you. You don't control it. My addiction mastered and controlled me. Mastered. Yes, mastered and control me. I did not master the addiction. An addiction is anything that brings pleasure for the moment, but in the end, it brings some sort of destruction into our lives. I was remembering that today. Some addictions are substances that we consume, such as alcohol 
or drugs or cigarettes. Even food can be uh, addictive if too much or unhealthy. Um, in my case, in addition to the beer, it was the sleeping pills. And those two, um, it's because of God that I'm standing in front of you today. Okay? Um, and, and some addictions do not involve physical consumption, but are solely behaviors. It could be just a behavior, such as pornography, gambling, or online gaming. When we add up all the addictions, we discover about half of all Americans are addicted to something. It could be their job, whatever it may be. In my case, and as a blessing with grace, Christ came into my life, and he delivered me before it was too late. Before my life would be totally destroyed. I know people who are very dear to me who have not been delivered. They live the tragedy today at this hour, at this moment, at this very second, as I look into the camera and speak. Know this. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus didn't come to just set me free. Jesus didn't come to set you free. Jesus came to set all of us free. The question, the question people ask is, where's Jesus? People say, where's Jesus? How, why is he not helping me? The question that you might be asking when you say, where's Jesus? is the wrong question. The question is, where are you? When we see in the news the tragedies in the world or in our neighborhoods, and we ask the question, where is Jesus or where is God? The question is so common. We hear about it all the time that because we hear it all the time, we think that's the correct question. It is the wrong question. The wrong question is, where are you? But the question we should all be asking ourselves, and I, what I say to you once, I say ten times to me, is where am I? Where am I? Because we have to be, didn't we talk about what responsibility looks like a moment ago? So we have to ask ourselves, where am I in my role with responsibility? Where am I in my role with integrity? Where am I with my character? Those are my behaviors. Where am I? What am I doing about it? God came into my life. And I made a choice. When I say I made a choice, and I told you I'm alive today because of the grace of God, the mercy and grace of God, you can make the choice. The people watching on the broadcast can make a choice. You can make a choice to pay attention, to be alert, to understand there's more than just the addiction. Know this, Jesus came to set us free. I will tell you, in John chapter 8, verse 36, John chapter 8, verse 36, hear this, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what is that saying? That you have an opportunity. God is opening the door. That's what God's doing. God opens the door. All you have to do is just walk through it. God does the rest. But you know what that walking through the door is? That's a choice. That's a conscious choice. I'm going to walk through the door 
Let me share with you in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus came to set the captives free. That's in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to that. Jesus came to set the captives free. What do I mean by that? Because we are born in a world of sin, we are held in bondage. We are held in bondage because we are addicted to our sin in one form or another. And so we are held captives. We are in a prison, but it's not a prison with bars. It's a prison of our mind because we've made terrible choices. And when I say we, I'm really saying myself. But I also know I'm not alone. So as I said before, what I say to you, I'm also speaking to myself. I'm ministering to myself at, at this hour. But when we say that Jesus frees us from the captivity, that means if it's a jailbreak. You know, he's unlocked it. The gate is open. Go, do something. Get out of it. But the reason why people don't go is because they don't know where to go. They don't know. And, you know, as I told you, I've made the worst mistake. I'm 58 years old. So I'm old enough to know better now, but I'm old enough that I have a huge trail. You see me today, but you didn't see me in the 1990s. You didn't see me, you know, uh, 30 years ago. You, and it was just a runaway train wreck. But I didn't know where to go, okay? This is a very complicated world that we live in. I get that. I get that. So that is why, you know, we talk about the Resurrection Center. We talk about other churches. You need that spiritual guidance. I certainly did. I certainly needed that mentoring. I needed that spiritual guidance. But I came to a point in my life I said, I surrender. It's like a battle. I surrendered. And then once you surrender and someone's helping you, then it'll work. I know a person, and I'm not going to mention the name or how I know this person, but it's a person very near and dear to me. Um, every time you try to help this person and you provide a solution, they sabotage it. Every time you try to help. Then you try to go in a different angle to try to help, and they sabotage it as well. It's, it's just a runaway train wreck. That's an example of a person that doesn't surrender. You'll know when you surrender. You'll know when you're helping someone else and that they surrender. Is that when you pour God into their heart, it, it's as Pastor Jose said, um, uh, we don't save souls. We lead people to that deliverance, okay? What people do after that is entirely up to them. You know, it's like that old vernacular. You, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't get them to drink it. That's what that's all about, okay? So Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus came to set the captives free. The captives, who's that? That's you, that's me, that's all of us. John chapter 8, verse 36. So the Son sets you free. You will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. Just make the choice. You have the choice. We can also learn about the addictions, our enemy, and Jesus came to rescue us from our enemies. I'm going to read to you. You'll like this. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, 69, verse 75. So write that down. Luke chapter 1, 69. Verse, uh, chapter 1, I should say. See, I'm mumbling to myself. Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 75. 
See, I got the numbers right here. I'll, I'll read it to you, okay? So Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 75. He has raised us, he has raised up a horn of, I'm going to start again. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him of all our days. And that, Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 75, and I know that Jesus rescued me. Are you held captive? Coming up next, the Bravehearted Men's Group will be fighting for our families on Friday, March 25th at 7 p.m. via Zoom. Stay tuned. It's part of the series, Six Battles, Every Man Must Win. Join us, won't you? Our focus will be the families that we men are responsible to protect. A lot of what we're talking about, we're going to apply to that meeting. That's Friday at 7 p.m. at Zoom. And the next day, the following day, Saturday, for the ladies, see, See, we took care of the men. Now we're going to take care of the ladies. At 10 a.m. the following day on Saturday will be a woman's brunch with a lot of food and excitement of a good word. To discover more, click on the events tab on our website, resurrectionspringfield.org. That's the events tab. There's more to come. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at TRC413. You can check out our streaming channel on YouTube at ResSendSpring, ResSendSpring. We're also on ResurrectionCenterRadio.com. Join us Sunday at noon, and in a few weeks, we'll dive into a new series, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We'll wrap up next week and then have prayer night at the start of April, as we usually uh, at the beginning of each month before diving into the new series. And then, of course, we have First Fruits. First Fruits is coming up. We'll be talking about that on a Wednesday to come, so so much more to come. Right now, um, I'm just going to call the attention of... 